Good morning, everyone. So I, I printed out the, the notes twice. So there's two different versions of them back there. Uh, one is in Greek. No, just kidding. I don't even know why I said that. One of them is, uh, uh, you know, it's got some words on it. Um, how can I be more clear than that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's got a question. Yeah, except it's got words at the very top, right, still. So I printed it out with those words first, asking those questions, like, what is the good life? And, uh, and then I was just going through my notes again. I was like, I don't know if they got enough space to write notes on there. And uh, it's always one of the frustrating things about printing out notes. Uh, I never know if I'm going to frustrate everybody by, what? He, gave us, he went on and on and on, and we hardly had any room to write anything. And then he goes real fast in this big area. Whatever. All right. So I printed out another one. Just <laughs> I printed out the next one just blank, you know. So uh, because all, especially you got those 13 points. You see the main, the main idea talks about 13 ingredients. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very short points. So I just let you write them all out. So pretty soon it gets to the point. Why, why am I even printing out notes here? This is a strange introduction to this class. Let's... <laughs> Let's, uh, let's go to prayer uh, as we get started. Lord, thank you for uh, what we've just heard uh, from your word in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to uh, seek to win as many as possible. Um, and Lord Jesus, thank you for becoming weak uh, to win us, to save us, to redeem us. Thank you that you love us like that. Um, help us to uh, love people like you do and to follow in your footsteps and to live to win others for your glory, for their eternal good. Uh, and help us now as we look at First Peter. Open it up to us. Um, may we be full of hope because of what you say here. And may we, with hope, strive to live in a way that brings you pleasure. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys are you guys know all about Joel Osteen. You're familiar with him. Uh, What's that? Great smile. Great smile, yes. <laughs> Sparkly smile. <laughs> Have you guys read Your Best Life Now? You guys know that book? Yeah. Uh, I read, I didn't read all of it, but I read a lot of it uh, when it first came out. You know, New York Times bestseller. Everyone was talking about it. It's everywhere, right? Um, he's trying to help his readers to find the good life. Um, he says that people have set their sights too low expecting little from God, and so he says, consequently, they live small lives, defeated lives. The solution, what is the solution? He says it's faith, enlarged expectations. Those are the terms that he uses. That's faith, enlarged expectations. What should we expect and believe in? Here are some of the things that he says. Uh, God wants to increase you financially by giving you promotions, fresh ideas, and creativity. Expect circumstances to change in your favor. Expect people to go out of their way to help you. Expect to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, expect to excel in your career. Expect to rise above life's challenges. And what does this expectation look like? What does this faith look like, this positive thinking look like? He talks about Bill and Cindy, a couple friends that, uh, friends that, uh, of he and his wife. Uh, they had a tough life. Bill worked... Uh, two jobs while Cindy stayed home with the kids, and they could just barely get the, the bills paid. Uh, and so here's what he says. Many, many nights after Bill came home from work, rather than sitting around in their little apartment feeling sorry for themselves, they dressed up, they got in the car, and drove down to one of the big fancy hotels in the city. They didn't have enough money to pay for parking at the hotel, so they parked down the street, and they walked back to the hotel. They'd go inside this gorgeous facility, and just sit in the elegant hotel lobby and dream. Bill later told me, 
I wanted to expose myself to an atmosphere of success. I wanted to be in a place where I could keep my hopes up. I wanted to get into an environment where I could dream of victories. And Cindy said they would sit there for hours talking and dreaming. They would leave with their hope and faith renewed. Unbelievable, huh? And Osteen says, this is what everyone should do. As long as you can't imagine it, as long as you can't see it, then it's not going to happen for you. To conceive it, you must have an image of the, of the inside of the life you want to live on the outside. The image has to become a part of you in your thoughts, your conversation, deep down in your subconscious mind, in your actions, in every part of your being. What you keep before your eyes will affect you. You will produce what you're continually seeing in your mind. I would agree with that part. Yes. Yeah, you'll produce what you continually see in your mind. If you're beholding the glory of Christ, then you'll be transformed from glory to glory. But can you imagine pushing thoughts of Christ out so that you can think about an expensive hotel? Um, and he goes on to share a whole bunch of success stories in, in, his, in his book, people who enlarged their vision of what God would do in their lives. Tara Holland, she became Miss America. Uh, Joel Osteen talks about he and his wife got a big house with high ceilings and oversized windows. They got the compact center, you know, it seats 16,000 people, that arena became the home for their church, Lakewood Church. Um, you know, he talks about being at a crowded restaurant, limited time, you need to get a table as soon as possible so you can just, you just say, Father, I thank you that I have found favor with this hostess and she's going to seat me soon. Um, the one I think about and talk about the most is, uh, is his comments about parking. Perhaps you're searching for a parking spot in a crowded lot, and you just say, Father, I thank you for leading me and guiding me. Your favor will cause me to get a good spot. And he's got a long, drawn-out account of when he got this that really good parking spot. And uh, I pulled up this morning, <laughs> and uh, my, I was going to get in this parking spot, and it was already taken. And so I had to like, kind of like swerve. And it's funny because there's was, there was only like three other cars in the parking lot, but it was my spot. I usually get it, you know. <laughs> and Silas laughed at me, and I'm like, huh, just not going my way, I guess. Are you yeah. envisioning the whole drive here, <laughs> No. Yeah, I, I guess I, I needed to do that. That's, that's where I, I fell short, so. That's right. So, so he would say, this, this is the good life. This is, this is what you need to expect and eagerly anticipate. This is, this is living your best life now. Um, what, would, what would Peter say, I think? Second uh, Peter 3.17, he says, Be on your guard. Don't be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. And then the next verse he says, Second Peter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and I think we'd all agree what Osteen is saying is really leading people away from grace uh, and away from steadfastness. Um, well, Peter wrote our the letter we're studying, 1 Peter, uh, to help us stand firm, and he says it, right, in the true grace because it's oftentimes mischaracterized and misunderstood. Um, all right, that's chapter 5, verse 12 of this letter. Um, and uh, in our text this morning, he talks to us about living the good life. I think what would be a, a, uh, the equivalent of what Joel Osteen is referring to, uh, living your best life now. Uh, he doesn't say best life now. Peter does it in our text, but he's, that's really, I think, what he's getting at. Let's read our text, chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Uh, so uh, Peter tells us how we're to live, right? Verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, right? And those things describe how you are to live in the church, right? Now, in verse 9, he describes how we're to live with people inside and outside the church, Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, 
And, and why should you live this way? He says, for to this you were called. Uh, and why should we live out this calling? That you may obtain a blessing. And now, then in verse 10, Peter gives support for his main point by quoting David in Psalm 34. Verse 10, he says, For, here's the quotation, whoever desires to love life and see good days, or we could say, I think, the one who wants to live his best life now, right? Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Um, so the good life comes to those who live righteously. And why is that? Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter tells us, tells us some remarkable things in this passage. He's, he's telling us what it takes to live the good life. Um, he's, he's not t telling non-Christians how to become a Christian in this text, right? He's, he's telling us as believers what it takes to live what I guess I'm calling the good life. Um, and we can be certain it's not what Osteen is envisioning. Uh, and, and really, this, this text, though, gives God's recipe for the good life. Um, what is it? What is it? What am I talking about when I say the good life? Um, what is the good life? There's multiple references to it in verses 8 through 12. Um, the good life, uh, we could say, is uh, it involves unhindered prayer and answered prayer, right? Uh, verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. You live this way. Um, if you desire to love life and see good days, then, then do these things. Uh, and then he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Right? So uh, we saw the same thing when, when the Apostle Paul talk, talked to um, the husbands, right? Chapter 3, verse 7. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And, and what was the motivation that he gave? Well, because there's this uh, conditional blessing. Uh, you want unhindered prayer? Right? He says, do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't, if you don't live this way. Uh, and that's really what he's saying here, right? He quotes Psalm 34 to make that same point. Embrace this whole way of living. Get all these ingredients to the good life because that's what it takes uh, to live the good life. Uh, so what is the good life? It involves unhindered prayer uh, and answered prayer. The Lord listens favorably to us. Um, and... Uh, we could also say uh, the good life involves good days that you love to see. I think that would be a good way of translating uh, what Peter has there in verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. So, right, so the good life are, we're talking about is, uh, is uh, good days that you love to see. Um, so we're talking about a desirable life. So he's really, the question he's asking is, do you, do you want to live a desirable life? And that's really an amazing thing because he's, <laughs> he's already talked about how they're called to suffer, right? So whatever he means by a desirable life and a satisfying life, it includes a life full of trouble and full of persecution. It's amazing. Uh, but he, So he's talking about a satisfying life where there's contentment and joy and peace, um, even when he quotes Psalm 34, right, David is, is talking about the one who desires to love life and see good days, but David's not talking about a life without troubles. Uh, in Psalm 34, uh, David says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Right in that psalm, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And of course, Peter is writing to Christians, chapter 1, verse 6, who are distressed by various trials. And yet at the same time, he says, in this salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. So they are grieving. I mean, it is painful uh, because the trials they're going through, yet at the same time, they have this joy. And so he's telling them, you can have that kind of life that's full of trouble, full of affliction. I mean, in a sense, nothing's going your way, in a sense, right? And yet you could still be full of joy where you really, 
you're, you're totally satisfied. You, you desire this life. You're not wanting to, uh, to get out of this life. You're rejoicing. Uh, chapter 2 uh, of this letter, verses 19 and 20. Uh, verse 19, he says, this is grace. Right? It's translated ESV, this is a gracious thing, but more literally, this is grace. This is undeserved favor. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Here they're enduring sorrows. They're unjust sorrows. And yet he says, this is, this is undeserved favor when you're, when you're enduring, the, enduring those things. And you're enduring them because you're mindful of God or aware of God, right? You remember him. Uh, you're, you're, you're loving him and trusting him. Uh, and so you endure sorrows. Uh, but the sorrows continue, right? He's not, he's not conceiving of it as you're mindful of God and so the sorrows are going to go away. No, there's still sorrows. There's still grieving, still trials, still afflictions. Yet, there's undeserved favor and so there's joy. Uh, then he gets down to verse 21, 1 Peter 2.21. He says, for to this you have been called. That's why you're enduring these unjust sorrows. It's because you've been called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so the good life, when, when Peter says, hey, you want this good life? Here's the ingredients, God's ingredients for the good life. Uh, when he refers to the good life, he's still conceiving of a life full of trouble. Um, I think it's along the lines of what Paul is, talks about in Romans 5. There's joyful boasting. Uh, in our crushing experiences, uh, joyful boasting, uh, right? So the good life is not health and wealth, but it is joy and it is peace and contentment uh, when there's not health and wealth. And what we're really talking about is the enjoyment of God, the enjoyment of God. So it's not big houses, promotions, winning contests, overcoming sickness, finding a good parking spot, getting seated in a restaurant quickly. God doesn't promise those things. Uh, we might not say those things, but from time to time I have heard folks say something like, um, uh, I just believe God is going to give me a good job. I've been looking for a job. I just believe He's going to give me a good job. Really? How do you know? Oh, I just, sometimes you just know. I, mean, I don't know how many times I've heard people talk that way. That's not faith in God. That's faith in our own faith. It's totally useless. It's empty. Um, the, the, how do we know if we have faith? It's, 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 that's when we're leaning on God's promises. Right? Faith is reliance, right? So we're always relying on something. If we have faith, biblical faith, Christian faith, we're relying on what God has said. So what has God promised? Um, suffering and troubles and strength to endure patiently and joyfully into the glory of God. That's what He's promised. Suffering and troubles and also strength to endure patiently and joyfully into the glory of God. That is the good life that is satisfying. That's the one we ought to desire and long for. Um, and I find it so exciting that, that Peter and David would use language like that. I mean, they're talking to people who are totally crushed. And I know if he, he would like to come to them, right? I mean, we see someone in suffering and we want to go to them and say, let me help you out. We want to get him out. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I don't know of a way out. You might have this sickness forever. I, I, don't, I don't know that you're ever going to get out from underneath this. I mean, you're stuck. This might be forever. Well, what do we have to give them? We can't rescue them from their troubles. And Peter can't rescue them from their troubles. In fact, he guarantees they're going to have those troubles. But yet he does 
say, you can have an absolutely satisfying life. Days that you desire. I desire more days like this. That's amazing. Um, it's exciting. And boy, we need to be armed with this because we, we have to encourage ourselves, right? But we have to have this ministry of encouragement to others. And uh, most times when we talk with people, I feel like the suffering that they're enduring, we, we can all see an end to it at some point. And, and oftentimes that's the encouragement that people give. Well, boy, it'll be nice at least when the school year's over and then you've got the summer. And we, we start encouraging people that way. It's going to be over. But that's not where Peter goes. So we really want to be equipped to encourage others. Um, Joe Osteen encourages Christians to value the perishable. And I think that's really the key here. Uh, Peter is trying to, you know, God is through Peter trying to wean his people off of that which is perishable uh, and to live for that which is imperishable. He keeps using that terminology of that which is imperishable. These are abiding, life-giving, trustworthy things. Put your weight on these things. And, uh, and there's hope. Uh, the good life uh, also involves the inheritance of a blessing. So I have, I have made three main statements here. It involves unhindered prayer or answered prayer. And then I said the good life involves good days that you love to see. And then uh, now the good life involves the inheritance of a blessing. And I'm just going to specific statements that he's making in this paragraph. Look at verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Right? What are we called to? Uh, experiencing insults, experiencing suffering, and then the obligation and the ability to bless, right? That's what you're called to. Uh, and you're called to this, he says, that you may obtain a blessing. So the good life is obtaining that blessing. So blessing refers here, I think, to a taste of favor from God. We taste it. It tastes good to us. Um, so there are difficult providences, things that God gives us. They are, he is being good to us as his children, right? He is making everything go our way, but, uh, but it's hard. It's difficult. Um, so a lot of it's discipline, right? Uh, but, but he's talking about a blessing where you taste the favor of God and it is sweet to you. Um, the, uh, he refers to inheritance elsewhere in this book. Um, he says, obtain a blessing. Other translations have inherit a blessing, right? Uh, inherit is the better word. Um, that's more literally what it is. Obtain is a little bit more generic of receiving something. <clears throat> but inheritance clarifies that there's no, no uh, you haven't earned it. You get it. It's free. So... Um, we have this inheritance referred to in chapter 1, verse 4, the inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and it's unfading and it's beauty, um, reserved in heaven for you. So it's talking about inheritance you get because you're a child of God. You don't earn it. You're like a little, you're a little baby, newborn, right? He's caused you to be born again to a living hope. Um, and, uh, but you haven't done anything to earn it. He's caused you to be born again. And because you're born, because he's your father, that means you get inheritance. You don't earn it. There's nothing you could do to earn it. Uh, well, here he's, he's using that same terminology, you inherit a blessing. You inherit a blessing when you bless others in response to their insults and to the suffering that they inflict upon you. When you bless, you inherit a blessing. Um, so he, he's talking about a present experience of blessing here in verse 9. In chapter 1, verse 4, he's talking about inheritance that's in heaven. Uh, it's reserved for you, so you don't have that yet. You're going to get it, right? Uh, but you remember Peter has this way of referring in, to things that are present, blessings, experience of blessings now and in the future, and he sees them as linked, as tied together. 
He sees the blessings we experience here as a foretaste of the glory, right? So it's chapter 1, verse uh, 13. He says, uh, fix your hope fully on the grace. Our translations say the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We look at that and we say, well, it's just he's talking about a future blessing there. There's this undeserved favor of God, and I should set my hope on that. But he doesn't say it's exclusively future. He says, he uses the present tense participle, fix your hope on the grace that is right now being brought to you at the revelation. So it's coming to you right now. You're already getting present tastes of it. Um, and we've looked at other examples of that as we've gone through. Uh, so he sees these as all joined together. <clears throat> and uh, here he's saying that the reception of all those things or the enjoyment of all of those things is conditioned. It's conditional. It's conditioned upon our obedience. Uh, our joy and peace and contentment is conditioned upon our obedience. So what should we think about conditional blessings? It's almost a little bit mm, scary. <laughs> conditional blessings. I don't know if you feel that way, even as I describe these things. Um, sometimes, you guys are familiar with this whole gospel-centered movement. I don't really know how old that is. Uh, I remember in high school reading books by Jerry Bridges, and uh, people started to refer to him as being gospel-centered. And I read it, and I was like, whoa, yes, we should be talking about the gospel a lot more. Uh, I've been studying the Bible a lot, but not really thinking about the gospel and how that's the main storyline of the Bible. It's really about how God saves sinners through His Son for His own glory. That's really what it's all about. Uh, but, you know, you, kinda, you zoom in too much and you will look at sometimes commands or responsibilities and you don't look at it in light of the whole. And so then, well, what, what am I really motivated by? I mean, it's kind of oppressive, feels like, sometimes to read the Bible. Well, I'm just reading things out of context. There is the context, right? There is a main point. So uh, it was a good thing to, for Jerry Bridges to come along and, and to say, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. Believers need it. We need it. Um, and then other people started writing more and more. I don't know that he really got it kick-started. And they, obviously, people talked about the gospel way before him. <laughs> But he kind of became known for that. Um, uh, so there's this gospel-centered movement. And within that movement, I have noticed that uh, a lot of folks uh, dismiss the idea of conditional blessings altogether. Uh, they say, uh, you know, don't, don't live this way. Don't live like, oh, if I'm not good today, or if I'm not good this week, or I haven't been good this year, and so I'm not going to get these blessings. No, no, you can't earn... God's blessings, they'll say. You can't earn those blessings. And they'll say, God loves you perfectly in Christ. He can't love you any more than He already does. Well, you think if you are obedient and more faithful, He's going to love you more? I mean, boy, living under a weight of guilt, don't live that way. Believe the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Um, so, what do you think about that? What should we say to those things? Let's talk. Mm-hmm. So, as a husband, if I don't treat my wife well and do not honor her, then I am in jeopardy of having my prayers hindered. So, in that sense, it's conditional mm -hmm. my attitude and behavior towards my wife. I'd say so. So, how do we fit that with belief in the gospel? I mean, doesn't God see us as in Christ? So, don't I get everything because I'm in Christ? Why do I need this obedience? How can blessings be conditioned upon obedience? Because when you're in Christ, the obedience will work out. You work out your salvation through your obedience. Yeah, you work it out, but still, why wouldn't we just get the blessings anyway? Why have them conditional? Isn't there still... So uh, being blessed because of your... Yeah. Because of... Oh, I heard <laughs> that one. That sounded like a Jehovah's Witness. No, it's not just that. <laughs> yeah. Luann? Let's go to Luann. There's a special blessing for those people who read and understand the book of Revelation. Yes. Special blessings for sharing the gospel. You, you receive 
blessing. Yeah. Because you're obedient to those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there are promised special blessings, yeah. Yeah, I think also you're kind of talking about lordship salvation versus this idea that, you know, you can be saved, but mm -hmm. you just still do what you want to do. It's a, just a mental ascent into what salvation is. But clearly, uh, if you love Christ, then you are obedient. And he said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Right? Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, then, being a believer results in obedience, which then results in you know, all the benefits that come with that. Yeah. Broken fellowship with the Lord is the result of sin in our lives. And which is why it's so important to confess sin, right? First John 1 9. If we confess our sins faithful just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Cleanse us from the unrighteousness, what does that make us then? It makes us righteous. Right. Right? And whose prayers then are effective? The fervent prayers of a righteous man mm -hmm. availeth much. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important for us to then be in God's word, following God's word. Otherwise, you know, our prayers are hindered. Yeah. More ways than one. Not yeah. just the fact that you know we might not be treating our wives properly. Mm -hmm. But if we are in sin, unconfessed sin, well then we aren't the righteous man that's in James. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Others? Yeah. gospel is that God loves us because he loves us and not because of anything that we do. So yes, it's true. It's abs I think it's absolutely true that he loves us as much as he loves us. He always loves us as much as he is going to love us, no matter what. Mm -hmm. When he saves us, we are his. Yeah. So he doesn't ever... He's not looking at us and saying, if you don't do such and such, I won't love you as much. Yeah. Or if you do such and such, I will love you more because that's going to put us right back on the line. Mm -hmm. So the juxtaposition there is really um, after our salvation. I mean, we do have to. We have a great blessing in remembering that no matter what I do, no matter how I feel, no matter how hard I've tried and I can't, or when I haven't tried. Mm -hmm. That he, I'm not, if I get busy and try harder, he'll love me more, which is our nature to do. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that's absolutely vital to remember that he's not going to love me more if I obey him more. Yeah. And he's not going to love me less if I don't yeah. obey him. But if I understand that he loves me no matter what and what it cost him to love me no matter what mm -hmm. that that's supernatural and motivates me to love yeah. to obedience and it's, it's hard not to get under that oh my gosh because we disappoint the one we love so mm -hmm. we want to try harder oh just tell me what to do and I'll try harder but see then I'm I'm working for my salvation then. So I think it's really important to separate those or explain what you mean by the sure. unconditional love of God is the unconditional love of God. Mm -hmm. But our obedience is what he asks of us because of his unconditional love. Yeah. So you might say, I think what you're saying is perhaps tell me if this communicates what you're getting at. Uh, there's a difference between saying that God's love doesn't waver and God's blessings don't waver. We can have not increased love and decreasing love, but we can have... Yeah. He'll still love me, but I won't rejoice in it. I won't know. Right. I won't experience it. All right, so the, so the love is unchanging, but the blessings do change. Um, so the blessings may uh, go up and down, <laughs> and that's. Uh, but you're also talking about a motivation. What motivates us is God's love for us. Uh, should we? Is it proper to be motivated by 
blessings that can change. I want more blessings, so I'm going to go obey. Or is that not as good? Should we just go, no, let me just think about God's love. Should we, should we be motivated by only God's love? That's the proper motivation. No, I'm not, gonna, I'm not doing this because of what I can get. Is that what Peter's saying? I think Peter's saying, be motivated by what you can get. In part, right? But I mean that you may obtain a blessing, right? <laughs> that, uh, so that you'll desire life and see good days. I mean, it almost sounds a little bit like Joel Osteen. I mean, a little bit. I mean, it's not talking about hotels, <laughs> you know? But there is something that gets better if you do those other things he tells you to do. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, don't revile, bless in return. You're going to get more, but not more love for sure. Not more love. Yeah, because his love is infinite, right? He loves us in Christ. So the same love that he has for his son is the same love that he has for us. But then it seems like all the blessings would stay the same. I can't quote it, but where, I can't remember if it's the proverb or where it is, but talking about the, the, the servant who does a little will receive a little, and the servant yeah. who does more will receive a hundredfold. Right. So it, there is benefit in, in the obedience that we have because the more blessing will be poured on that who is those who are obedient to the fullest. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the obedience necessarily that God's judging, it's the it's the I can't. I don't have the right words for it. But yeah. you're right in the fact that yes, there are more blessings who are looking for a blessing because they are doing that. Which servant who is asked to sweep and they sweep, a servant who is asked to sweep and boy do they sweep. Yeah. That person is going to get a little bit more than the person who just. Yeah. Yeah, and your husband hammered this at the very end of the sermon, right? Remember him that last motivation. What motivation? Paul, to, well, the gospel, but more, 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 sinners being. more people, but even talked about his own experience, what he would receive personally. Remember that? Were you guys there this morning? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Boy, that was kind of mean. Uh, I didn't mean it, though. Yeah. You could have two Christians side by side that look at the blessing in a different way. Mm-hmm. You can have two Christians that are obedient, and like you said, our obedience will get that joy and that peace and that contentment. You can have a Christian, they're just on their journey. Every mm-hmm. day, well, they have joy and peace and contentment. And yes, every day they wake up, thank you, Lord. I know that that's a blessing from you, that I feel joy, peace, and contentment. But you could have somebody else going through an extreme trial or an extreme persecution and that joy and that peace and that contentment feels like a massive blessing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, his, his phrase was in verse 23, First Corinthians 9, 23, so I do all things for the sake of the gospel, there's the motivation, one motivation, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And Chris was saying, you're not doing this, you're missing out. You're holding back? You're not being a slave to all? Stop doing that. You're throwing away all these blessings. Right? All these conditional blessings. Mm-hmm. And back home, there was a time um, and it was by a drive-thru, so we went and got her some food and, and took her the food. And people would look at that woman. She has no home. She has nowhere to go. She's older. She's obviously a widow. She's got this little dog. I mean, it's it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And so we got her some food. And we took her the food, and she was a believer. And um, just rejoicing and praising the Lord. I mean, she was just such an amazing sister in Christ. Never once said anything about being homeless. The, her mm-hmm. situation at the like we just literally sat there for like 10 15 minutes um praising the lord of her and when we drove away we were like that woman is richer than everyone in this town that has a home has a car has a job she's richer than all of them 
She had Christ. And she knew it. And she knew that was all she needed. And it, just speaking with her, and it, it just came out of her mm -hmm. that you realized that's all she needed. And to me, that it, it, it just, I mean, like I said, she was just richer yeah. than everyone in that town. And that hero begins to take her food, brought you a blessing through the conversation. Yeah, this is, I mean, this mm -hmm. is nine years mm -hmm. later. And I still remember Phyllis <laughs> and her little dog. Because she was just such a blessing of when you have Christ, you don't need anything else. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Well, and that's getting at... Uh, I mean, as you say that, I'm thinking of the beautiful behavior or excellent behavior as it's translated uh, in First Peter 2. That's what Peter is calling us to. Um, and when we have that, that's what makes the gospel attractive. And people say, give me a reason for the hope that's within you, mm -hmm. right? And so you do that and you proclaim the gospel. Um, okay, but still coming back to this idea of conditional blessings, I want to know, I understand that love, love, God's love for us doesn't change, but we have said in a number of ways, we can think of a number of promises in Scripture that, that, that talk about conditional blessings, and we can miss out on some. So the blessings are increasing and decreasing, going up and down. God's love doesn't. But doesn't that have us... Uh, how do we reconcile that with undeserved... I mean, are those blessings... Maybe His love is is undeserved, but His blessings are deserved. Because I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and because I did this, I get this extra blessing. I would suggest, um, based on like what we've covered before with First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 17, where we talked about mm -hmm. what we are supposed to fear as saints, um, it, is, it would seem that these conditional blessings are like born out of God's pleasure, and in our obedience versus his displeasure in our disobedience. So it's not the same. It's it, like if we disconnect it for a second just from salvation, because like Peter is addressing saints here, he's talking about conditional blessings to saints. So you've got, the, you've got salvation that comes from our faith. These conditional blessings come as a result of God's pleasure or displeasure with us. Mm-hmm. So God isn't always pleased with us. That's, that's a big thing that contradicts the, uh, I guess, part of that, that gospel-centered fad. Uh, you're, you're never more or less pleasing to God than you are right now because He sees you in Christ. Uh, there was a wonderful article that Wayne Grudem uh, wrote. That's a chapter in a book somewhere, but you can look it up. And it go, he gets, collects all the passages in the New Testament where it talks about God being pleased or displeased with his people based on their obedience. And uh, that might be discouraging to some. Oh, man, bring them displeasure. Could I ever do that? But no, because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit working in us, I can be pleasing. I can bring him pleasure. That's amazing. And when I do that, here's how I think we reconcile it all. When I meet that condition, I do it, not because I'm awesome, not because I've earned it, right, but because of His grace. So He gives me the grace to obey, to meet the condition, and then He gives me grace upon grace because He's generous. And He, he does want us to be motivated by conditional blessings. Meeting those conditions, through those condition, conditional promises, He is teaching us about what brings Him pleasure. And then, by His grace, because the Holy Spirit, we have the desire to please Him. And so we say, give me those conditional blessings. Give me the warnings. Give me all your commands. I want all of them because I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. Right? And we worship Him. So the conditional blessings are, are actually a reflection of His love to us and His kindness to us. And then He empowers us to receive those and, in that way, be pleasing to Him. Does that make sense? It's a little bit, it's a little bit thorny. We're trying to put in. I mean, we, we, we understand this, these gospel promises, uh, and, uh, and we wonder sometimes how, how God could hold back certain things and yet His love be perfect for us. 
But you read in the Psalms, uh, you know, you look at Psalm 32, you look at Psalm 38, right? And uh, David is in pain, right? God is frowning upon him. God is withholding blessings from him. Why is God doing that? Not because he doesn't love David, but because he does love David. The withholding of the blessings is communicating his love to him, to his child, right? The bestowment of blessings when he reaches those, meets those conditions is a demonstration of love. And they both make clear to us God's holiness, right? Because if you address uh, uh, God as Father, well, remember also that He's righteous judge. And so fear living in a way that would bring Him displeasure. Well, Peter is clarifying, God is clarifying through Peter, what brings Him displeasure. And He's telling you that because He loves you and He's, he's showing you, he's, he's clarifying his, his nature and his character to you, which is beautiful to you because you're a believer. And he's empowering you to meet those conditions. Uh, Jesus, so he not only gives you the conditional blessings, but he also says, Jesus bore uh, our sins in his body on the tree so that we might, having died to sin, live to righteousness, right? So <clears throat> it's not as though we earn in our strength and power, we earn uh, our, we do the obedience in our own strength and then we earn the blessings. No, from beginning to end, we look back on it and we say, ah, I met the conditions. That's amazing. I'll praise Him not just for the end result, not just for the fruit, not just for those blessings, but I praise Him for the obedience in the first place because Jesus purchased both the obedience and the conditional blessings that came as a result. And we praise Him for grace upon grace. And it's abundant grace that just flows to us. Um, okay, so there's certainly there's conditional promises in Scripture. Um, uh, earning, uh, when you talk about meeting those conditions, we're not talking about meriting uh, blessings, right? So that's one of the problems, I think, when the gospel-centered, when the off-center, gospel-centered uh, folks uh, say, no, you can't talk about it that way because we can't earn anything from God. The answer is we're not talking about earning. Just because we're meeting a condition doesn't mean we're earning it uh, because it's grace that is working. It's undeserved favor, which is at work in us, empowering our obedience and motivating us. So we don't, we don't take any credit at the end. We give it to Him. Yet there is, and it's, oh, it's just, it's amazing. In the chapter 1 of First Peter, he talks about how there's... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Let me go there. Uh, look, at, look back at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Where's 1 Peter? It's easier to find in my Bible than it is on my iPad. Ah. Mm. Mm. What? You said where's 1 Peter? It says 4 second, second Peter. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, so he says... Uh, So verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's praise and glory and honor that we receive. That's amazing. We're going to get praise and glory and honor, <clears throat> but we're not going to take credit for it because we're going to know that's stupid. <clears throat> right? But, but there's been obedience that's been... in because it's been empowered by His grace, undeserved favor, which has enabled us to do things that will entitle us, in some sense, to praise, glory, and honor. But all that, of course, just redounds to the glory of God, because it's all grace upon grace. And so that's why he can talk, as he goes throughout the book, upon, about uh, you do this, you can receive a blessing. You can, you can inherit you know, uh, this reward, and it is a reward. Right, but not one that we've earned. So, <clears throat> not meritorious. Uh, when he says inherit a blessing, that word inherit, like I said, is inherently uh, not about earning. It's about a gift uh, that's undeserved. Um, he says in chapter 1, verse 18, uh, that uh, we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. 
right, with the, with the precious blood of Christ. So it's Christ's blood that, that redeemed us from a, a life of disobedience that was not characterized by all the things He commands us to do in our paragraph, uh, being like-minded, uh, being sympathetic uh, with others, uh, being compassionate, uh, giving a blessing in response to an insult, right? Well, we, that used to be the way we lived our lives uh, in, in, in disobedience. Uh, now, though, we've been redeemed from that feudal way, inherited from our forefathers. It's our forefathers that did all those, were engaged in that kind of sinful lifestyle. But now, He can give us these commands, and it makes sense to give commands to us because we actually can do them because we've been redeemed from a feudal way of life. And now we have the ability to do what He's calling us to do. Um, so I think this brings more glory to God. I think He does it this way, to bring more glory to Himself because He gets credit not just for... Uh, we give Him credit, we give Him glory, not just for the blessings, but we give Him credit for how He enabled us to... He empowered us to meet those conditions. Um, so, and, and it's also important to recognize that it's not the only proper motivation for right living. There is a multiplicity of motivations given to us in Scripture. So what the gospel Center movement has, uh, the, the off-center part of the gospel Center movement uh, has said is that um, the only motivation we should have is not the law. Don't, don't go to the law. It's depressive. Don't look at all the threats and warnings. That was the old covenant. Don't look at those. Just look only at how God loves you, and then you'll be motivated to obey. And so people have accused them of being antinomian. Some of them... They're kind of okay with that term. Some of them don't really want that term. Um, but uh, nonetheless, they're saying that's the only motivation. Uh, certainly, that should be built into as a motivation for everything that we do. But the Scripture does give us a multiplicity of motivations. Um, you should be motivated by your desire to glorify God. Uh, motivated by your hope in Christ to redeem you from a futile way of life. Uh, there's warnings, there's threats, there's promise of additional blessings. So there's a whole bunch of, of uh, motivations. Uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book, uh, The Hole in Our Holiness. You guys heard of that book? That's a wonderful book, short little thing. Uh, and he's uh, actually addressing some of these uh, uh, imbalances of the gospel Center movement. But he lists a whole bunch of motivations, just page after page. You're like, whoa. I mean, God wants us to have, but they all have built in uh, the glory of God and responding to His love, all of them. Even His warnings, right, are a response to His love. When we take heed to a warning, we're responding to His love. When He gives, out, gives uh, uh, hope of promises or blessings that will come to us when we do such and such, well, we're responding to His love. So love, His love is underneath all of it. Did you, uh, did, did Luann, you had a question? Oh, I was uh, the hole in our holiness, or maybe it's a hole in our holiness. Is H O L E? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Craig, I got a question. Yeah. Um, so, for a true believer, we believe we, we believe that uh, it is the love of God that motivates you, or the fear of falling into the hands of the living God under His wrath that should be the motivating factor. To, you know, um, the law is there to make you aware of your wretchedness. And if it's not for that knowledge, you're going to be a false. You, you see, I, I love Jesus because he loves me. So, you know, mm -hmm. he loves me first. I'm going to put on Jesus for here for a little while. But really, not having a clear understanding. So the, I've always seen, you know, Ray Comfort puts it beautifully when he, when he, he uh, analogous to somebody in a plane and a stewardess comes and says, hey, put this parachute on because it'll make you feel comfortable. Then sit sit down and it'll make you feel good, you know, and everybody starts looking at him and laughing and the next thing you know, he's like, I'm wearing it. Mm -hmm. He has no clue why he's wearing it. But if you put him on the edge of a plane or the, pli the pilot says, put your seatbelt on, put your parachute on because we're going down, he's going to be motivated to put that parachute on because he knows he's going to put his trust in it. So, you know, we yeah. hear a lot about love, and, and it's great. God loves us, and that's true. But the motivation really is that I am condemned. I am going to be burning in hell. And I've been made knowledgeable of that through the law. And now, oh, my God. 
thank you for saving me from that. Mm -hmm. That is how, that's what I embrace because now I'm not under God's condemnation. I am, I am his child. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then from that comes the knowledge that he loves me and I embrace that. And just like John says in 1 John, you know, uh, I tell you all these things because you know, you'll have fellowship with God and Jesus Christ. And I tell you these things to, so that your joy may be full. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you, your joy and your blessing is that fellowship with Christ and the Father. Everything else is secondary. Mm -hmm. That fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ is what we all long for. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what we get, we could have nothing, absolutely nothing. Zero dollars living in the street, but if we know we have fellowship with Christ, we're like Cherry said, we're rich and we've got everything we need. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, just tell you know, what are your thoughts on that? As far as so, the motivating factor, yeah, I would say that those are not mutually exclusive being motivated by his love and by his fear. They're intertwined. If you love him, there is going to be this fear, and that's why we love him because he's fearful, right? He's awesome. This is this is what is ultimately beautiful, right? It's him. Um, and, uh, you know, and Peter mingles those together in chapter 1, verse 17, right? We conduct ourselves or, or live in fear during the time of our stay on earth because the one we call Father is also our judge. So we think of him as two different, but you, you, you can't have a true love for him without fear. It is possible, I think, to have a kind of fear that doesn't have the love. Um, and that's not enough to save. You have to love God. Uh, that's part of what faith is. It's a reliance on Him to be all that He's promised to be. Who has He promised to be? My Father, my Savior, everything. I have, so I'm relying on Him to come through to be who He says He is. And so I have to appreciate who He is and, and love Him. So, uh, but I understand where, where uh, comfort's going with that. Uh, people, we, we go to people and we th we, it's kind of like we assume that what they need the most is to feel love. And everything's miserable in their life, and so we want, we're trying to persuade them to come to Christ, and so we think the thing that will win them is just telling them about how much He loves them. But they don't understand why they need to be saved, and they're not under conviction. They're not really turning from sin to Him. They want to add Him as something that's useful to them as another friend, or they're just their servant. Uh, so they have, to be, they have to know the law of God and know His holiness and, and be fearful of him uh, as the holy God, the judge of the universe. Um, but there has to be that love for God. And as the Spirit is opening his eyes to, to see, to be convicted over sin, he'll also show him his own beauty and he'll be attracted to that. Because uh, that's part of repentance, right? We, we turn from our own sin, our own way of living to him. Well, part of what we're turning from is a loveless response to God. We've been suppressing his truth. He's been blessing us his kindness should lead us to repentance, but we keep digging in our heels, you know, and, 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 and bucking. Um, and so we re when we repent, we turn around and we, we love Him. And we follow Him, not because we have to, not because we're just terrified of what will happen if we don't, but because we love Him. Um, and some people, they just can't accept that. <laughs> Every week. We're, we're set up team. Yes. Set, yes. Yes, they throw me a nice... Ooh. <laughs> All right, let me, let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this time looking at your word. Thank you for um, uh, this passage, which gives us uh, a promise that we can, have, we can be absolutely satisfied uh, in you, regardless of how our circumstances are. And I pray that you would help us to receive uh, the the conditional blessings, the announcement of these conditional blessings. You announce them to us today, and you, you call us to obedience and to a certain kind of life, a life of excellent behavior. And, uh, and you, you hold out uh, a promise to us of additional blessings, which actually we know will just, it really is just an increase, uh, increased joy in you. So maybe all hear it and respond with eager, joyful obedience as we hear you beckoning us. Um, we thank you that uh, it's not up to us in our own strength to live a life of obedience, for we can never do that. We look inside of ourselves, and we, we know that we are weak, and it's, uh, 
well, it's scary to us. Um, and so we look away from ourselves to the promises that you give us, that you gave your son and he, he, he bore our sins on the tree, bearing our curse, or your curse. He bore our sins that we might live to righteousness. And you redeemed us with the precious blood of your son. So we thank you that we uh, are not doomed. Uh, not only are we saved from the penalty of our sin, your judgment, your wrath, but we're also saved from the power of sin. So help us with hope to take hold of these commands, these exhortations, and to follow you in obedience. And in that way, glorify Christ and what he's done and glorify the undeserved favor that we have from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.